0: special Progues with Unity podcast. Today we're joined in the studio by two very, very special guests and two voices that you'll have heard many a times covering games at Wigan Athletic. One of them, a Latinx legend and still co-commentator with Ash Horton and another man, Guy Clark, who joined the Latics in 2018, uh, becoming Wigan's main commentator. Guys, how are you doing? Yeah, not so bad. Thanks for uh, thanks for having us on. Great to be
1: reunited with Tommy. Tommy, how are you doing? I'm okay, Guy. Hi, guys. How are you? All All good, I hope? Yeah, yeah okay. not
0: bad, thanks. Not bad. Not bad. We keep, we keep going. We keep going. I think some of us found our beds earlier than you, though, Tommy, last night after the uh, Lincoln. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> After a disappointing result, I must say it was a good performance by the boys. we were, uh, we came about, came away feeling sort of quite buoyant, really, the way they're starting to develop this young squad. But then, then we had a nightmare journey home, and actually only put the key in the door at about twenty to three this morning. So uh, on the morning, so it was a long journey back from Lincoln.
0: And that's it, and I think you know the first and foremost is that the the young lads um, are really putting the effort in, aren't they, to to try and get the results. Well, I think,
2: first of all, the work rate from the players is second to none. You know, you can see the effort that they're putting in. Yes, they're only young lads, a lot of them. Well, young men, really. There's one or two who are only on the 18, 19. But, you know, a lot of them are sort of 20, 21, 22. So they're at that age now where they probably should be getting into first teams. Um, Possibly came a little bit earlier than for one or two of them. But I think the big problem is the fact that they're having to play concentrated amounts of games all at once. They're not being able to be sort of dipped into the first team and then taken out to, to yeah. protect them a little bit. At the moment, it's full on. And they'll be well aware of the, the situation at the club. And, you know, it's one thing when you're playing under-23 football where, yes, you all want to win. You'd always want to win games. But the, the main focus really for the likes of Gregory and the staff is the um, development of the players. All of a sudden, you put them under-23 squad into a first-team environment and the you've got the complete opposite then. The, the the most important thing then is the results and winning games. Um, and they're having to learn very, very quickly on defeat. And to be fair, I think they're doing okay. Results still aren't going in our favour, but you can see the way the squad is developing. You know, they're getting more and more acclimatised to the rigours of first-team football. And it's tough. It really is tough.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And... Um... The guy who's, who's joining us is Guy. Um, and obviously, Guy, you, you, you've covered a um, quite a varying range of lattice games. But um, just for the listeners and for lattice fans, what are you up to at the moment?
1: Yeah, actually, before we did this, I was just sat in the waiting room and counted up. Tommy and I did 102 lattice games together. I think it was that many, but uh, I was sad enough to count them up. But nowadays, I'm... Uh, I'm Doing some sort of commentary with Preston North End on their I follow PNE. And aside from that, um, sort of just doing bits and pieces of reporting here, there and everywhere. Uh, sort of what, what I was doing really before I took on the, the Latics gig full-time really, um, as well as full-time job I have with the Liverpool Echo doing their Blood Red podcast, working as a producer and chipping the odd time, sort of hosting and doing different interviews and bits for them.
0: Are you missing uh, working with Tommy? And he you missing following the Latics? You can't you can't help but miss
1: working with Tommy. Um, no, Tommy and I actually are still in quite regular contact. Um, obviously, I'm not covering Latics um, at, at the moment and uh, haven't been obviously this season. But I do probably every other week. Uh, Tommy and I, quite often on a, on a Sunday morning, as Tommy's sort of going off to work, I seem to pester him, pick up the phone and say, Tommy, how's it going? I'm keeping an eye on the results, see obviously the, the highlights and things. and sort of as I say, because I, I did sort of the Latinx commentary for what, two and a half seasons um, and as much as like Tommy and I worked together and Ash and Nick on the media team and Bernard the photographer, we we spent more hours travelling to away games with each other than we did sort of on air doing the commentaries and you build up close sort of bonds and uh, units and yeah, they're all mates and it's, it's not nice to see what's happening with Wigan Athletic right now um, and I like to sort of Keep abreast of of what is going on with it all.
0: We've well, covered two points there that we will come to, and it'll be your tales from away days, um, <laughs> also the the current state of affairs at Wigan. But to, to get kick things off for the pair of you, what's what was your favourite game covering the Latics? Tommy, I'll let you go first.
2: Well, I think there was a few. Well, obviously, you know, we we we've got um, the. Most best one, obviously, was probably Man City, which will will, but that's probably the top one. But there was a few. I think Doncaster, when we won the league, I think was uh, was a real great atmosphere there. You know, you we looked at the end and behind the goal, and it was just full with Latinx supporters, which was just a joy to behold. Really, when you see that, and the atmosphere was great. That would be another one of my favourites. I would have thought.
1: Yeah, I have to say, for for me, I think. Aside from, obviously, the Man City game, is probably Leeds United away I was, th- I was on that good Friday. Um, yeah. th- and that was, that was uh, for, for me, in terms of matches I've been doing games, sort of covering That's sort of the, the biggest single result I've seen impact a whole season, because Latinx were obviously 1-0 down. We're in the bottom three for the first time that season. <clears throat> obviously, they're, they're down to 10 men as well and then somehow fight back, turn it round, and all of a sudden the whole relegation picture changed, then obviously beat Preston North Endy Easter Monday to actually sort of ensure survival. In the meantime, the wheels fell off Leeds United after that result, having sort of been the best team in the divisional season. And yeah, I think that was a a great one. Another one that I sort of look back on very fondly was last New Year's Day at at Birmingham City, Tommy, the 3-2 there. It had been a wretched first half of the season. I remember travelling down there full of a cold, somehow got through the yeah. game. And then afterwards, we were we were stuck in a little ra- old-school radio room, wasn't it? Sort of doing the, the bit that we did for the Latics Listen podcast next to some sort yes. of kegs, just sort of there chatting away. And it was just a tight, stuffy little room. And it was sort of, we were there, the only ones with smiles on our faces. Birmingham themselves were on a, a poor run. But it was finally an away win on the road for all those hours we'd spent in the car together.
2: Yeah, it was good fun. And as you say... It seems all very glamorous. and You could see us sitting on battles in this little tiny room <laughs> <laughs> recording it. Yeah. yeah, no, that was good. As you say, it was, uh, we've had some memorable occasions, haven't we, away? No matter, through all the pain that we've gone through, there's also
0: been some really good highs as well. Talk us through Man City for the pair of you everything that's going on to those listening in well can I just keep say, your head I, then, Tommy. I
1: lost
2: it I <laughs> was the only one who was in control of it because I, I was watching it when I listened to it back all I can remember the saying go on Will go on Will go <laughs> so I, I just completely lost it I, I, I just went into the fan sort of mode then and I, I was just got lost in the occasion it was
1: brilliant absolutely brilliant yeah I'm for, for me, it's, it's one of those where it, I sort of remember it in the days of actually it happening. I remember obviously at the time I was working with Wish FM as well, um, doing news reading and stuff. And I'd been in the office. I was on a double shift that day, so I'd been on I'd been on a breakfast shift. I'd been up since about four and four thirty a.m. that day, and I remember being in the newsroom and was being asked, "Oh, what are the chances tonight?" And I said, "Obviously, I really want Latics to do it. They've got history with Man City, but it's..." Latinx, the priority is the league and they're not going to win this game, Man City are absolutely irresistible um, not going to stop them of course they got 100 points that season um, and it, it, I, I didn't see any way of it happening and then obviously it did um, Nick Powell obviously went off early didn't he and Jay Fulton came on and I thought crikey the script is written here type thing, Will Grig goes through, scores and yet it, it, it's one of those pinch me moments, it was, I, I remember being sat there seeing it all, obviously Paul Cook and uh, and Pep Guardiola had had their sort of bust up at, at half-time, as it were. And I remember just sort of the ball going in, the full-time whistle going and it all just being a day. this has actually happened. And as you say, the, the the emotion and seeing everyone, certainly Tommy, going absolutely ballistic when the ball went in the back of the net.
0: It's interesting listening to you know, these stories, because I'd have picked out obviously Man City, uh, Doncaster, but Birmingham is a very interesting game that you picked out from Believe it or not, January of 2020, the the year that we're still in, that feels like four years ago, January this year. I, I, I feel, and probably the guys feel, that January was a massive, massive turning point in the season. What was January to March like? What was the feeling like? What was the buzz? Was there a belief in that side?
1: Yeah. There was there was definitely belief. Um, uh, Tommy can probably pick up afterwards, but I remember at Birmingham, as I said, it had been so long since the away win. It, it'd gone from a thing, obviously, before Leeds the previous season of, oh, Latics aren't winning away since that win at Stoke, obviously, got the win there, and then it was like, oh, it, hopefully it all turns around. And the next season, it then sort of seeped into the home form, obviously in the bottom three, and it really sort of wasn't looking like a good picture, and you were beginning to sort of see... Oh, I felt anyway, that there was a bit of confidence sort of seeping. And even in games that Lattic were playing well, like the the game with West Brom at home went 1-0 up and then Jamie Jones is having a twig from his water bottle and gives away that indirect free kick. You're shaking your head. And it was it was everything like that. All the late goals that kept going in against Wigan. And you just thought, it doesn't matter what they do, this isn't going their way. And then they, they beat Birmingham and I think came back, obviously they conceded an early goal in that game. If I remember rightly, there was a, a goal that well, Josh Windass had scored, hadn't he? And then it was just before half time they'd conceded. And it was like a, a kick in the teeth before half time thinking, are oh, they not going to quite sort of keep this out? They'd had the, the game at Swansea that had gone sort of a similar way. But I remember after the game, we did all the interviews and everything, and Paul Cook said to us Tommy, didn't he? He said, Thanks guys, thanks for sort of sticking with us. We're all in this together. We're gonna get it, we're gonna get it sort of over the line. We will come back now this win, I, I don't think anyone will realise how important it will be. I remember at the time thinking, that's a bit, that's that's a bold claim. Paul Cook never made bold claims, never came out after games and said, never threw his players under the bus. And he never came out and said, right, this is where everything now turns because he took every game at face value. But I do think that was the moment. And up until the lockdown, Tommy, I know we had a, a couple of sort of, painful games to, to watch through. What was it, the, the Millwall game just before the lockdown? I don't think it was the, the, the best of matches that we had to commentate on and Luton as well. But it did feel, all of a sudden, that Latics weren't sort of conceding these silly goals and losing games they should have at least run.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right, Guy. Um, I think you'll also testify to the fact that I always had a great belief in the team. And um, yeah. I could always see something happening. Even through the start of the season, we, you know, we had our conversations when we were travelling to these games and obviously we're all a bit fearful about another away game and I always had the feeling that we were good enough. I could always see in them early results, although we weren't getting the points on the board, the performances were always not far away. Bar for the last five or ten minutes in a lot of them games, Nottingham Forest away was a perfect example. We absolutely batted but Nottingham Forest and probably should have come away 3-0 3-0 win is easy and we can't come away losing again, you know, through late goals. But through all that first half of the season, I could always see the basis of something there, you know. And then, as you say, from Christmas on, really, the results turned in our favour to go along with the performances. And um, as you say, Paul Cook was was, was the same, you know. He, he, we, we we were the same. I, I I used to speak to Paul as... Guy will tell you a little bit after the games and have little conversations with the players. And I could always see that there was a belief there and if we could just get these little things right, um, you know, there was always the possibility that we could really start picking up the results. And uh, so so I, I, I always had that belief that we could get out of the trouble we were in at Christmas. And as you say, the, the turning point was certainly, you know, where we started putting points on the board was Birmingham away, but it was... Uh, it was good. I, you know, I, I enjoyed the, the type of football that we were playing, if not the results. That was the hardest part in the commentaries, wasn't it, Guy? It was like, you know, we kept as if we were repeating ourselves a bit as we are now um, for games. You know, we can see that this performance is there, and, but it was going to take time for, for it to develop. And, and eventually we started getting the results.
1: And that's the thing I think a lot of people forget about the, the first half of that season, because Paul Cook from sort of the Twitter-arty was under a fair bit of pressure of people saying, oh, we're not getting results, he needs to go. doesn't matter what he's trying to He needs to play Joe Gellhart. He needs to do this. He needs to do that. But you think of the squad, there were a number of players who were coming into that team. I mean, Nathan Burnham obviously had been the player of the year two seasons before, but with Rhys James, he hadn't featured all that much the season before, certainly not at right back until the back end of the season when James went into midfield. Kipre really forced his way into the team after that draw with West Brom in the middle of December. Anthony Robinson had had an injury hit time, and you had, obviously, Tom Pearce coming to the side. Joe Williams was new into the midfield alongside Sam Morsey, Kiefer Moore up top, and that was what Tommy used to always say. I used to say, I was always a pessimist on the way to away games, saying, oh, this isn't going to go its way. Are oh, they going to get turned over. And Tommy said they, they bought Kiefer Moore. They're not stupid. He's a good player. He's cost £2 million, but he needs to learn the way the team play. Joe Williams is a brilliant midfield player. Again, needs to learn how the team play. You've all of a sudden taken out the likes of sort of Max Power, who'd been there a while, Will Grigg. These guys had all moved on who had been at Latix for a good while. And all of a sudden, you have to wait for that sort of cohesion to build up in a team, as Tommy will testify, having played the game himself. And you saw that second half of the season, and even into lockdown, and of course, everything that was going against Latix off the pitch.
0: Right, Tommy Guy, you've had it
1: easy so far. What I want to <laughs> hear from you now is uh, any, any stories of little misdemeanours, uh, anything that you can talk about in public, but uh, the
0: funnier the better. So what, uh, what mishaps have happened or what little bits of mischief?
1: Bernard, the photographer, was always a laugh on away games. Always. Him, he and, he and Nick... Um, obviously Nick Taylor is a, a staunch sort of Wigan athletic supporter and from Wigan Tommy himself is from St Helens obviously there's that rivalry them two always used to sort of go at it but Tommy we sort of used to steer clear really of the mischief didn't we? Oh we
2: used to just sit in the middle of them two and just let them carry on it was um, we never had to sort of push them in any way at all they used to sort of Supply the uh, entertainment for us on the way trips, you know, with uh, <laughs> certainly with the Saints, Saints rugby and, and Wigan rugby and Wigan Athletic. It was always good fun just listening to them, you know. But I was remember, I mean, the, the, the funny sides of it, I mean, and I've got the utmost respect for the guy, you know, I'm not sort of going to sort of build him up now. But he do, he did a fantastic job, as does Ash now, to see them, you know, they make it look and sound so easy. And I'm always amazed that he can remember everybody's names pick them out in the commentary. I still struggle to this day with the opposition. I, I always turn around and say, you know, the, the Lincoln forward or the Lincoln defender, whereas they pick out the names. And not only that, you've got normally two or three screens in front of them. One of them, they're, they're picking up the, the results as they go through the day, of other, you know, the results around the country. You've got the st- statistics of the game that we're watching. You've got a clock to keep their eye on, as well as commentate on all the game. I just, you know, I've got the utmost admiration for them all. They do a fantastic job, I
0: really
1: do think that. I'd like to just come back to Guy reminiscing about uh, the uh, the birthday greetings that people used to send, <laughs> send in. <laughs> Is it just a matter that you're, you're commentating and concentrating on the football and you're just reading them as they come in, or...? Did you actually proofread yeah. first No, what was no. Yeah, no that was no that was the thing to be fair. The ones that obviously did slip through as you say somewhere you got sort of four or five screens. Um, obviously, that season we sort of changed how things worked. wasn't with Wish FM anymore. Was it was it was purely through iFollow. So in the past, we'd, we'd get things sort of, and Chris Milo would normally be over <coughs> and sort of say, "Oh, we've got this X, H- Y, or Z." We'd be able to sort of feed it down the line, and I could I could go with it. And he would obviously know. But the the ones that do slip through, you sort of read them, and then it's not until probably five seconds later when you've probably still come out with another three sentences, you've gone, "Oh." Oh, I've, I've been caught there obviously. It, it's all part of, sort of the learning experience of of doing it and sort of getting to grips with it. On away days for me the thing on away days um, and, and then once sort of, Project Restart happened was it was for, for me it's always about the supporters. You are the eyes and the ears for the supporters so you've got to convey all the emotion. And when there are no supporters or when supporters can't get to games, i.e. Reading away or during lockdown, it's trying to make it inclusive and make it feel as though Latix is a community club and sort of a family feeling club and make it feel like everyone is involved in it. Um, And then when you get a few numpties, you sort of send some in, which is how I obviously look at it. People think it's hilarious and really funny. And I I do get that. People do sort of think, oh, we'll we'll get a funny one read out and they're all there giggling. And they enjoy it. Does that add to the entertainment for them? It might well do. For others, might think it's silly. I obviously don't like getting caught out. But that was what it was all about, was making sort of everyone feel included, certainly when things were a bit rough off the pitch. Um, And then obviously we knocked it on the head for the final couple of games because things were very serious and a few had slipped through the net that really ought not to. That was the thing,
2: what point I was trying to make. I mean, they've got so much going on in front of them, you know, Guy and Ash. And, you know, fair play to them. You know, they're trying to, you know, build up an interaction and a relationship with the supporters who are watching or listening. And, um, you know, and as you say, some of them are funny, but some of them, you know, were completely out of order.
0: Some great tales there. And I'm sure there's more that could probably go into a book, Maybe when you both retire from from the uh, the industry, to to keep people out of trouble. A question here for you that it could be one or two, maybe three players. And I'll come to you, Guy, first because you keep letting uh, Tommy go first. So I'll, I'll put the pressure on you this time. The best latics player that you've commentated on?
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I'll give you three. But before I do that, I'll will put the caveat that we put Man City on on the the games that Reese James is by far and away, the best player I've seen. Uh, I mean, Tommy will tell you, and before I reel off my three, I'll let Tommy do justice on uh, Rhys James, because we went up to Rangers. We never did friendlies, but we went up to Rangers. Tommy and I weren't going to miss out on a trip to Ibrox. And we went up there, and as I said before, Nathan Byrne had been Player of the Year the season before, and you've got this 18-year-old kid who had come into the training ground two days before or three days before and had interviewed him. And he didn't say more than three words in a three-minute interview, and I thought, oh crikey, this is this is maybe going to be a lad who doesn't quite get it, who's come up from London, who not saying fancies himself or anything, but it's a big adjustment to make for a teenager to come all that way. And I do think a few loan players probably get sort of stick for, oh, they sort of think they're better than what they are. I think it's probably just a huge adjustment. But Reese James came up, and we saw him, and the first time he sort of pinged the ball into the right channel, Tommy. Jaws hit the floor of just thinking. Crikey, how have a Wigan Athletic got hold of this? I mean, how have Chelsea let him out? Let alone how have Wigan got him? He was unbelievable.
2: Yeah, he certainly was. He he just used class from the moment he arrived. You know, he was a he was an eighteen-year-old sort of youngster, really. But in a man's body, I think that was the biggest thing. He, he had the physique to deal with it all, and. Um, and you know the old adage, really, if you if you're good enough, you're old enough, and and he certainly never ever looked out of place in anywhere he played. Even when he stepped from his usual fullback position into the midfield position, when you know he was asked to do that, you know he. Uh, I remember saying in commentary, a guy might not remember it. He, he was getting caught in possession because uh, all of a sudden he didn't have the time you have as a fullback. You know, fullback he generally facing the balls. All of a sudden he was in midfield. And he's receiving the ball, with his back to the play. And I said in commentary, that's the one thing he's going to have to learn very, very quickly, is that, you know, you can't sort of dally on the ball. You've got to be quicker. And within 10 minutes, he added to a T. He added to T. Ten minutes And put the and
1: ball in the top corner at Bristol City.
2: Oh, <laughs> but I kid you not, you know, he just learns, you know, when you've got a football brain like he has, you know, it... it, it it, it just switches onto it immediately, and you could see it was. And as you can see now, he's you know hes, he's slotted into the Premiership team at Chelsea, he's slotted into the England international team, you know, and it and it and he doesn't look out of place in any of them areas, and he's just an absolute platter.
1: Yeah, in terms of players, um, we have to mention Nick Powell. He was that the first sort of half season I came in and was commentating and watching Latics walk to the League One title, albeit Blackburn thought they were going to pip them. He was unbelievable. I always used to say to him, say about him on commentary, I mean, with Rhys James, I used to say he was, he, he was built like a cruiserweight but performed like a heavyweight for Latics. And with Nick Powell, he was like the best kid on the playground. If he wanted the ball, he said, it's my ball, give me the ball. I'll do what I want with it. Scored that goal against Oldham that he did on sort of that good Friday of that season where he just sort of walked through a number of players and curled one into the corner. Um, he was fantastic. Um, another player who sort of Tommy and I um both have a shared admiration for is Michael Jacobs who went on song was just a brilliant player for Wigan Athletic a real sort of crowd pleaser who got you off your seat he obviously used to start the season so well and he always used to say in interviews he said I'm I'm just a fair weather player when the sun's shining I'll be brilliant when when it gets cold I'm probably not so great but he was sort of honest about that but he always whether it was the start of the season to help Latics get off to a flyer or at the end of the season to get Latic's points on the board that they needed. He always sort of seemed to come to the fore uh, when needed. And the, the other player I'll pick is, I'm, I'm going to go for Joe Williams. Um, last season, I just thought he was a Rolls-Royce of a midfield player. And the kind of midfield player that you just don't really see now. Um, I'd, I'd seen glimpses of him when he'd been at... Uh, at Barnsley and when he'd been at Bolton Wanderers obviously got relegated with with both of those sides and I always thought he was quite a functional defensive midfield player who liked to tackle and could play quite well but then he came to Wigan and Paul Cook said to him get around the pitch go and do absolutely everything and he didn't need any second invitation and I thought really was a driving force for Wigan Athletic and it's one of those isn't it my last game for Latics of course was the 8-0 over Hull City and you look back on it now and, and, and that team and the way it played that night you just you, you dream about what that could have done this season had Latics not obviously fallen into the position they have and that team stayed together because they built up that cohesion, they built up that teamwork, they were a band of brothers and albeit probably strengthened from what happened off the pitch but they were, they were fighting adversity as it was because quite a few fans had written them off by the turn of the year. They'd rallied together and they pulled out these results that they had And, uh, yeah, I just wonder what they could have done. But uh, I think Powell, Jacobs and and Williams would would be the three for me.
0: Anyone you'd add to that, Tommy? No, I'd agree with all of that for uh,
2: what Guy said. You know, certainly for quality on the ball and um, his ability to to pick something out and and his vision. Nick Powell was second to none in them little areas. But two of the players I would pick out – one from a defensive attack-minded point of view would be Anthony Robinson. I thought he was phenomenal going down that left wing. And he had this turn of pace, even when you thought somebody had got past him from a defensive point of view. He knew he had them just switch on the afterburners and he could retrieve the situation and very quickly switch that situation into an attack when he was going down that left wing You know, and putting the crosses in. I thought he was another one I was really impressed by. But the the guy for me who who was the glue who stuck it all together and give it the drive, the determination, all the prompting was, was Sammy Morty. I thought he was, uh, you know, he he didn't have all them attributes of talking about quality on the ball and everything like that. He was just a good player all round, but he was the one driving and motivator to keep that team ticking over. Um, and I think that should not be overlooked, really, either. I thought, you know, if you'd add them two into the mix, certainly with Michael Jacobs, you know, crackers, he was just, when he was in full flow, he, he, was, he was something to watch as well. But yeah, no, we've, we've been privileged in the last few years to commentate on some really, really, really good
0: players and a good team. It's interesting, but something you both say, you know, a good team and the players that you mentioned all played in that, that team that was coming to, to potentially be something special last season. Um, and what could have been this season? You talk, guy. Your last game was the eight-nil win against Hull at the DW. Adam, I'll let you, I'll let you lead on this uh, this final segment here um,
3: with regards to the current state of play. Um, so we had that Stock City game. Um, we come out of that game pretty much safe, and then we get the devastating news the the, the following day. What was your View from a broadcasting perspective, guy. Yeah, what?
1: Yeah, it's it's one of those moments actually that is really lodged in my mind. I actually remember exactly where I was when it happened. I was just in the car with my girlfriend. She was driving around, and obviously before I'd, I'd come to Wigan, I'd lived in London for a little while and worked at Talksport too, and have a good number of friends there. And then worked for for Talksport in a producing capacity alongside doing the Wigan stuff for a little while, and. One of my mates just texted me, we're all in a, a group of sort of colleagues and ex-colleagues who, who work there, who are all good mates, and he just texted me just sort of individually and said, what, what's this about Wigan Athletic going into administration? And I went, what are you on about? Like, Why are Wigan going into administration? I've I no idea what this is about whatsoever. And uh, he said, really? He said, I've got a press release. I said, go on then, forward it on, because this surely isn't a wind-up, why would he all of a sudden from London be sort of saying this? And then it said sort of two o'clock embargo type thing. Um, Wigan Athletica entering administration. I think it was a a press, uh, a a statement I think from the administrators or from the EFL or whoever it was. But I remember just looking at it and I I was dazed. Uh, I think one of the first people, if not the first person I called was Tommy um, just to try and, Get yeah, his thoughts and some understanding. And for me, the big thing is I'm not a Wigan Athletic supporter. Obviously, it has got under my skin doing the games. And as I said, try to get involved and get a feel for the supporters and the the, the unique, unique way in which Wigan Athletic fans like to support and interact with their side. But obviously, Tommy's a guy who's got decades and decades of association with the club. Nick's a good friend and a big Wigan Athletic supporter as well. So it was these guys I got in touch with first because for Nick, it was his sort of... His passion, who he supports, but also his his job, tommy, as i say it 's a, a vocation and something very very passionate about and just to try and make sense of it, how did it all happen and, and what it was and obviously uh, i didn 't go to to Brentford the following game, but Ash before the game there again, a guy who of utmost respect for and does a brilliant job leading the media team and a brilliant speech before kickoff highlighting and and had I been on that game, I wouldn't have done justice to sort of the magnitude of the situation. It needed someone like Ash who was there, who knew what was going on, who knew the emotion, who could sort of tread the fine line between going into too much information that he wasn't allowed to and get the sort of passion and emotion across for the supporters. So he did that brilliantly. But for me, it was just complete out of shock.
3: Obviously, Paul cut leaves and that's where kind of uh, one just go to Tommy on that really. So... Understandable reasons that he's that he left the club, and and then obviously we, we we had the change of management, and then obviously the massive the massive turnover in in players, loan players coming in, and uh, free transfers. Just wondering how how you process that, Tommy. Really, in the sense that because you're a fan like like us, you've got attached as a player, but even even two weeks ago or whatever it was, two, three weeks ago, or whatever it was when Garner left, you know, it, it seems like it's another sort of knife in the, you, you know, in the back for us really, as these players keep leaving. So how do, you, how do you process it? It's just interesting to see how a fellow fan processes all those players leaving.
2: Well, it's,
3: it's very difficult for, you know, if I put my players hat on, they've got to look at
2: it um, a little bit differently. You, and, and all them players I know had a feeling for Wigan Athletic. It, it wouldn't have been decisions that they would have made lightly because, you know, you, you could see the team spirit. And I've always said to Guy, you know, if you put, you know, players with some ability and team spirit and a bond together, it's a hard recipe uh, for anybody to beat. And we certainly had that last year in abundance. Um, so... For then players, it would have been very, very difficult um, to make these decisions to leave. Um, obviously, a lot of it would have been financial, you know, because the situation that Wigan Athletic found themselves in with administration, all the administrators were wanting to do to a great extent was, was cut the costs. So they would look at the players and, and put them down as a cost. So if they could offload them players and get money in for them as well, then um, that's what, obviously, they did. You know, that's their job to do that. So, um, as much as we criticise them, um, <laughs> and they are in for some criticism, some of it rightly, um, you know, that, that is their job, to try and keep the club as a functioning business, you know, on the road to be able to, to recover if if possible. But the, the fact that we're losing so many players, I think it's 22, 23 players out last year's first team squad have now left. I think there's Cal Naismith, Jamie Jones, um, Lee Evans. I think possibly the only three that are left out of last year's squad. Um, it's a very, very bitter pill to swallow. And um, the only one that we can just give a mention to because I think he deserves a mention. The one person who's been a constant in all of this, and he and he's been a rock for the club. I feel has been Liam Richardson. I think he's um, he's done a tremendous job there. You know, from having to Pick up the pieces of you know, and and manage everybody's emotions through all of this, including his own. Don't forget, you know, he's been mixed up in this, and none of them know where they stand. You know, the fact that players leave, you know, can you blame them? Some of them were only on month-to-month contracts or short-term contracts. If all of a sudden somebody offers them a long-term contract, then the you know, they they've got a difficult decision to make, and. it's very hard for the supporters because they want to see unity, as we all do. They want to see us going forward, and and the fact that we have had this success of late, um, it, it's 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 a very hard pill to swallow.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I just just on, I mean, obviously we we want to take lots of positives. I think it's we've got to be proud of the fact that you know we're putting a team that is competitive at this level. We've just not had that sort of experience really, and. And know how maybe to get over the line, but it's showing that we've got some top quality academy players who've been coming through the under 23s. Just on on that matter, just wondering, out of the that sort of players that have sort of featured this year, wh- which one do you think, from your sort of expert footballing opinion, do we really need to keep an eye on who, who who is going to go on to play at a much much higher level? I'm sure they all have good careers, but is the one that maybe stands out that you think? Could could really make it right to the top, Kyle Joseph. Straight yeah. off,
2: I think he's uh, he's got phenomenal ability. You know, he's uh, really sort of got an eye for, for for where to be at the right moment in time. He's got an energy about him. At the moment, he's some of that energy is wasted in his chasing around. But once he harnesses that and gets in gets in them positions and and gets the confidence of maybe scoring a few goals. I think it would be a real handful for any defenders.
3: Yeah. Barry and I were talking about this the other day. I think we, we think we were saying a bit of a, there's something of a Mike Newell in him. I don't know whether that's what you yeah. yeah. I think, he, you know,
2: the, the thing I, I would, I don't really like comparing young players or putting them in the because you, you tend to bracket them then and, and look at them that way. But just as an individual, you know, I think he, he's strong. He's not, he's, you know, he, he's fearless in a lot of areas. And, um, I'd just like to see him get a few more goals because he certainly deserves them. Of recent performances, you know, I think, you know, Blackpool recently, you know, he did everything but score in that game, you know, and, um, I, but I think he's a real, qual- I mean, they're all good players, you know, and again, we've mentioned Liam Richardson, another man, Gregory York, and his staff at the academy. We've got them to thank, really, because without them now and the play- quality of play that's coming through, I really do hate to think where we would be if we didn't have that quality and depth where we could put basically the under 23s team into the first team environments uh, and as you say be competitive in the games um you know we played lincoln recently you know and we were you know talking to the lincoln people afterwards they were shaking their heads and saying you know to the when you're down you certainly get kicked because they knew we deserved something out of that game
3: yeah absolutely Yeah, and the I think I think the point that you make there about Joseph is uh, clearly a good one because you picked out uh, Rhys James at an early stage. So uh, who knows? You 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 are our ultimate uh, ultimate sky. <laughs> uh, just the I guess just a quick final final one to uh, to Guy before we uh, just um, have you come across uh, in your commentaries this year at Preston any of the former Wigan lads and how have they got on? Um.
1: That's- Good point, actually. Uh, I'm
3: I'm sorry, think. I,
1: I um, think... <laughs> yeah, no, you have, but no, it's fine. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know if I have, to be honest. Uh, I'll keep an eye across sort of the Championship keenly anyway. Uh, well, to be fair, Wolf have a bit of a... Sadder in that respect. Tommy will tell you that with the amount of notes I used to sort of compile on, on teams. But I don't think I've... i must be horrendous. Let me tell you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you used to come with re- reams and reams of paper and I'm thinking, dear me,
1: you know. All coloured in. All nice and coordinated. All coloured in. Colour coordinated, yeah. Still got the little light that I used to use at Ewood Park, Tommy. The little <laughs> oh, flashlight. I thought that story.
2: We could have told him that story,
1: Yeah. We? Yeah, no. Um... No, I don't think I've come across any of them. Obviously, they are a number of them, of course, going on and sort of playing regularly. You see Sammy Morsi, who obviously Tommy picked out before, who's gone into Middlesbrough and Neil Warnock immediately has sort of put a lot of responsibility and an onus on him to be one of the the key men, and quite rightly, because he's he's such an inspirational leader. And I think that's one of the things about this squad, isn't it, that we're talking about, is I think it highlights a couple of things. I think it highlights patience. A lot of people were maybe against the team and they galvanised even internally before everything off the pitch happened to make sure they got over the line. And it sort of shows the short-sightedness that's in the game. And Paul Cook used to go on about it week after week in press conferences. And people used to get bored of it. But I think one of the things with that as well, when he used to sort of say about going away to big teams, oh, they're a great team in this division. It's sort of going to be a great occasion for us. I think quite often people forget that Paul Cook's job or a football manager's job is preparing a team for a match. You've got 46 fixtures. They do a pre-match press conference. They do a post-match press conference. You're going to play over 50 games a season. They do 100 press conferences a season and quite often are asked very similar questions about different teams. And Paul Cook would just basically be, right, let's get this out of the way. Yeah, I'm not going to disrespect who we're going to play against because they've got A very a multi-million-pound squad from which to choose from. I don't want to single someone out and them have sort of a a vendetta that they want to sort of level against me or Wigan Athletic. And it was sort of one of those where there was a bit of short-termism of thinking, oh, we're going to spend what ten million pounds in the window. It, It needs to sort of show what it does. And I remember Darren Royal, of course, came out with the whole football manager thing of saying, if you look at expected goals, actually, we should be far higher up the table. He wasn't wrong, was he? He was proven right by the end of the season. If, if the season had finished how it should have done, Latics would have been a mid-table team, which was exactly what Darren Royal was saying at the, the halfway stage of the season. I think it was sort of just showing really that there is that patience, and albeit it's ended in heartbreak for Wigan Athletic, but that heartbreak was rewarded with a heroic band of brothers that came together. That So much as the team that Tommy was part of that made it into the league, so much as the FA Cup winners, the Paul Jules team that made it to the Premier League, Wigan Athletic fans and whoever, whoever was associated with it, I think for years and years will remember this team for sort of the pride they put in the jersey and the passion they sort of showed for Wigan Athletic. I don't know if you agree on that, Tommy.
2: Yeah, I think the real sad thing about all of that, you mentioned the way the guy was patience. You know, if the owners are thinking, originally when they bought the club from Dave Whelan, the, the, I might be totally wrong on this, but the way I see it was the ambition was to be... Get back into the you know the big time and the Premiership, or certainly be on the verge of it. And I think um, first twelve months or so in, under um, the owner probably didn't go as well as he wanted. And you know this time last year we were in the bottom three, um, but as I said earlier, we I could always see the performance there in the team. Now unfortunately, the owners never ever seen that, probably because they were never here to see it. But um, you know, if they had stuck with that, you know, and you 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 look at the form we showed from Christmas on and the results we picked up. Yes, we might have lost one or two players from that squad. But if we had added two or three players to that squad, we would have started this season as one of the favourites to be in the playoffs. Not maybe win the championship, but we would have certainly been one of the favourites to be up there challenging for positions to get back into the Premiership, which is the very thing that the owners wanted. And if they had shown that bit more patience, you know, I think we'd be having a completely different conversation now. Yeah, we
1: have and even, even on that point, looking at it on a, a balance sheet sort of perspective, obviously Anthony Robinson had to move to AC Milan, that didn't happen. But even if Latics had had a great end to the season and the owner had thought, right, I've made so much of a loss on this that I need to make some of my money back... He could have cultivated that crop of players. He could have sold the likes of Kiefer Moore, probably got a £6 million fee for him. Obviously, this is all had COVID not happened. Joe Williams could well have been sold on. Anthony Robinson may well have obviously moved on as he did. And he probably, for those three players, could have probably been looking at the thick end of £20 million for them. And all of a sudden, the sort of million pound a month that's having to fund the club. I don't know, my, my figures might be wrong. I'm not a mathematician, but... Twelve million pound loss a year. All of a sudden, he's got an eight million pound profit on the balance sheet. And if he reinvests a, a fraction of that money, or half of that money, gets into another couple of million pound players like he did with Joe Williams and, and Keith Moore, then you don't know. So Tommy said, have, have pushed for it, but I think real talent is really one of patience."
0: I think that's that's uh, you know it's a good point to uh, to wrap things up, and I think it's patience can I just say
1: one thing Simon just before just before we we wrap up I just want to sort of just say in terms of me moving on from Wigan Athletic Tommy mentioned it before the administrators came in for a lot of stick and there was I saw at one point a few people and a few people got in touch with me saying oh they can't even they're, they're, they're selling the commentator now me me leaving Wigan Athletic was nothing to do with sort of that I had a chat with Ash before the season came out and I had sort of offers on the table to go and do other things and obviously Latics, it was an uncertain situation with the club. As I say, I keep a very keen eye on it, still very much across things with, with Tommy and, and the guys. But I just wanted to, if anyone was in any doubt listening to that, I wasn't pushed on or anything. It was it was certainly a decision that i after speaking with Ash, that was how things played out. I just wanted to sort of
0: set the record straight on that one. That's, that's spot on. Um, I want us all to finish uh, on a bit of a positive note, it's it's that time of the year, and it's been a bit of a, a dog of a year for want of a, a bit of a phrase. Barry's got his dog with him; that's where that word's come from. But um, I, I think it's you know it's great having you both on. Um, you both been part of some really great days at Wigan. Uh, hopefully, Tommy will continue to be part of uh, better days ahead, as we all as we all believe. But uh, we would like to wish everyone, all our listeners, um, a very merry Christmas. And on that note, it's um, a goodbye from me. Uh, merry, Christmas, merry, merry
1: Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone, and thanks for uh, for listening to my uh, my boring tones once more. But great to have a chance to speak with you. No, thank you. Yeah,
2: Merry Christmas to everybody. Certainly to all the Wigan Athletic supporters. Keep believing. We're going to get better, and we're going to, you know, there's going to be happier times in front of us.
3: Cheers
0: Tommy, cheers Guy,
2: Thank thank you Cheers guys, see you later